coming from the Caveman Studios in Buffalo, New York. Welcome to Caveman Corner with your host, Jeff. Captain Caveman! Thanks. Click subscribe and the bell. Do it now! Hello, Dr. Crow. How are you doing? Good. How are you? It's been a long time since I've been on here. It hasn't been a long time since I've seen you, but a long time since I've been on here. I know we've been uh, we've been hanging out, doing it, keeping everything together for a long time. Um, if you guys are watching on Facebook or any of the other things, please make sure to share it so everyone can see. Uh, that helps us grow the podcast a lot. And always quick subscribe to whatever you're watching on. So help me and Dr. Crawl a lot. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. So all Ray, it sounds like you're gonna get is the intro. So at least I got Ray doing intros. Yeah, I, Ray doesn't Ray doesn't like coming on when I'm on. Yeah, you're too boring. He doesn't like policemen, and he doesn't like you for some reason. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I wouldn't like me either if I was him, I guess. I don't oh, know. oh, here he is. Here he is. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Sorry the, the, I, I still have my uh, my busted thumb from Ray's gi. <laughs> Sorry Ray's about that. Ray's that wasn't Superman your fault. That was my fault. We uh we were telling people at the uh we were telling people at jujitsu the other day Ray that uh you busted my thumb down at the docks because I owed somebody money. <laughs> I think that's a much better story than me just you know, not knowing what I'm doing with my grips. I I too believe that I believe that is the best way to go about saying that because your grip should be good by now. You're a blue belt. You're my blue belt. I know, I, and and that's that's like, you know that that I, I was the first color promotion for under you. You were. You were definitely Man. first color promotion. And Man. so far, you're my only blue belt, really. You're Tiger's only blue belt. Uh, yeah, all right. Yep. Well, your, your white belts keep dropping off. They keep falling into the ocean. Yeah, well, you know, they probably end up in mixed vans, so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know where you get that from. I you know, I worked with Mick the other day. He's like one of the nicest guys in the world. I know. He's so nice, but he's really quiet. And uh, so do you know the story when Mick first started at the gym? No, but I, I have a feeling that there's some Buffalo Bill stuff behind this. No. Anyways, he, he just came in and, like, he just watched class. He didn't do anything. So um, I was like, man, or the, I thought he was a homeless guy. So <laughs> then he kept coming back a couple of times. I was always really nice to him. And one time I gave him cookies, like, uh, which his wife made cookies. I was like, well, I'll check out the cookies home. And, like, all these donuts because we had uh, – and we had a party for the kid or uh, some promotion or something. I, I forgot what it was now. And he took that. Was that Elfrey's promotion? No, it was before that because he was already at the gym when Elfrey got promoted. So okay. I think it was a kid's belt promotion when, when the kids got their gray belts. I can't mm -hmm. remember for sure. But anyways, they um, he came in the next day and then he signed up. So then he was uh, he was a member after that. That's all. all right. And, some cookies. And because he's quiet, he uh, he murders people in a van. Yeah, I, I don't know where that came from, but like I always have like little stories in my head of everybody, and he was the murderer in the van. So I know you you are you're you're tough to jump in on like midstream. It, it takes a while. It's a, it's like I heard that one time watching um, people that watch the Jim Rome show that it takes about two weeks to get into the lingo and what he talks about. So you're the same way. It takes you a while. Yeah, like you jump into your classes and you're hearing stories about people, and it, it like you have no idea who these people are. And you're mispronouncing names. Like, I mean, for a while, you were not pronouncing the L in Ilfrey. <laughs> it was I'm not just feeling names at all. 
<laughs> I called I called Josh Joe for like six months and Joe Josh. I kept I had them confused in my head and I would always get their names wrong. Yeah. I mean blue belts, kinda shortish. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe I suppose. I'm, I'm terrible with names. I can I can tell you almost every muscle and bone in the body. I can't tell you names, so I I, I can't. I get Jared I right every time because he's not the uh, the Jared from the Subway commercial. <laughs> no, not at all. Jared would smash the Jared from the Subway commercial. Oh yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, anyways, I I just wanted to touch on what we've been doing since COVID times. COVID kind of <laughs> shut me down. Um, we were still doing privates, so we were allowed to do privates under your medical license. So uh, a lot of my students still do privates with me and you, and you were mm-hmm. still able to operate, but we were shut down for a very long time. How did uh, COVID affect you? It, it actually didn't affect me too much because even the very initial shutdown under Governor Cuomo said nothing about medical facilities shutting down. All medical facilities could still operate. It, it didn't say anything about that. Uh, a lot of places, what they did was they shut down outpatient facilities because they weren't able to go into the hospitals. So when you did see medical shutdowns, it was because of that, it wasn't a direct shutdown by the governor. So what I had happen was I was always treating one-on-one anyway, so I didn't have to change anything I was doing. So people came in, there was only just me and the other person, so it was just wearing the masks and going about that. And I was actually able to cut out some things that weren't really profitable for the business, like group exercise wasn't doing very well for the business, so that was cut out automatically anyway. And yeah, really nothing changed. So actually I did a little bit better through COVID because I was able to get people from other places that weren't able to operate because they didn't have a medical license. That's pretty good. And then uh, like you helped me a little bit and then that helped me pay you too. Uh, doing right. private. So uh, it worked out pretty good. Yeah, and my uh, landlord at the time was cool. He was yeah. cool about it. Like the landlord, he, he, he dropped rent some, he was cool. You know, we're not there at that spot anymore, but it was, you know, he was always fine. He was he was never a jerk about it. Uh, that's good because a lot of landlords got real hosed and a lot of times got hosed too. It was a very tough time. The government. Yeah. And I, not... I was able to operate, so I didn't want to shaft the guy, but I wasn't able to operate at generally full capacity. So, you know, it, it was, it, it all worked out. Yeah. Uh, and <clears> now we're at uh, 1333 Strad Avenue, right in the Niagara Climate Center. We're both there. Yeah, we're in on it's in the Wurlitzer Common, which is not the same as the Wurlitzer Building where Platters is. It's not the same building. A lot of people are like, "Oh, I know right where that is." I'm like, "No, you don't know right where that is." <laughs> so then I give them the instructions. And they're like, "Oh yeah, that's not where I was thinking." So yeah. do you know is that there's actually a third tattoo parlor in there now? Yes, I the the guy lives in his van. And <laughs> yeah, he has a with, dog. with the he solar panels on the roof. Yeah, the solar panels on the roof. Yeah, I was like, yeah, if he's got solar panels on the roof, he's living in that thing. <laughs> yeah, and he's got an awesome dog. It's got two different colored eyes. It's a super cool dog. Yeah, um, I heard all you, all nice. your kids' class like accosting that dog when they came out. Yeah, <laughs> I want to get that too from him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I want to get integrity on my chest. All right, just don't close the business down. Yeah, <laughs> we're closed in two weeks. I'm getting a tattoo. And don't spell it wrong. <laughs> I can get up. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be just like that no re, no regrets tattoo uh, that always pops up online. Hey, Doc, I got a question for you. Sure, what's up? Now, do you think that with the COVID, uh, do you think the government overreacted with it? Because I'm just getting over the COVID just now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, how far do we want to go down this rabbit hole? So, <laughs> you, know, you know, really the, uh, the the reality is if you, if you look at it, it's it was an impossible situation for everybody. 
You know, it was no, you didn't want to be anywhere near the decision maker of that because you had people on one side saying, hey, shut everything down. You have people on the other side saying, you know, just leave everything open, let everybody get sick, and we'll all deal with this just like the flu. As usual, the answer is kind of in the middle. I think where the biggest mistake was, and I think it was well-intentioned, was that we said, okay, well, not we, I didn't say it, but they said, okay, shut down everything but hospitals, right? And that's kind of what we did. And what we found out and what, you know, we in the medical profession knew and people running the hospitals know is that hospitals are not self-sustaining, self-sufficient entities. Hospitals rely on the entire community to operate. So the hospitals were open, everything shut down. And the hospital people were like, hey, wait a minute, you know, we need supplies from this vendor here. We have to hire all these people to bring them in, but we don't have simple things like access cards. You know, you don't think about that, but access cards aren't made by the hospital. They're made by a third party, which is now shut down. So then that third party had to open up. And then the third party says, hey, you know, we need these supplies from this, you know, tertiary um, entity. So now they have to open up, but it's all a two, three week, four week delay. And that's where things really got screwed up instead of saying, you know, what does the hospital need to survive? Keep those chains open. So it was, yes, it was a bit of a knee jerk overreaction. But again, it was an impossible situation. So, you know, it, it's not really fair to say, well, this person did that and this person did that and they're all bad people. I think everything was well-intentioned. It's just, you know, wasn't well thought out, which is a lot of things. You People just jump into things and, and then, oh yeah, we got to deal with these reactions afterwards. And unfortunately it, you know, it probably cost people lives. It wasn't intentional. It was just the way it is. So. Yeah, unfortunately, the people that make the decisions aren't usually the people that have to deal with the decisions. You know, they're not on the ground level of knowing exactly what everyone needs to make what they want done happen. And then they're still the ones making the rules. So that's what happens. Yeah, and they're not the ones dealing with with the response of that at the ground level. So, yeah, it, it's again, it was an impossible situation for anybody. So I, I think most of the things were well-intentioned and you saw all around the country very different responses to it, and we kind of all ended up in the same place. So Florida was very open, New York was very closed, and we all kind of ended up in the same place in terms of general death rate and you know everything that kind of went on. So you know I don't know if there was a right answer to the situation. Again, if I think if we went back in time, I don't, I don't think people would have handled it any differently than they did. So I hope they would, but they probably wouldn't. <laughs> no, they, they wouldn't. Have. It would have would just went the same. It would just been knee-jerk, shut everything down except hospitals, and then, you know, the trickle effect of things reopening up because the hospitals need it. Mm-hmm. So. Thank God I'm on, in Niagara County. <laughs> What's that? Thank God I'm in Niagara County. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot more to be said about this topic, but I'm not sure that uh, this is the right place for it. We we'll definitely get ourselves shut down and canceled. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's still really touchy. There, there are there are a lot of things we can talk about. Maybe we can revisit this if we decide uh, we're getting saucy later. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> let's uh, let's jump. Into Ray, Ray is definitely the one to toss a grenade into the room and blow everything <laughs> up. Yeah, right off the jump, right off the jump, he did that. Ray, actually, <laughs> do, do, have you ever been on what I've been on? No. Yeah, we were. Jeff was saying that you don't like police officers or me. I don't know why. <laughs> I like doctors. You, you're a good guy. Yeah, well, in small doses, I'm all right. Yeah. Small doses. What about policemen, Ray? You don't like them. Uh, police no are comment. okay, but except the NYPD. I don't like the NYPD. 
All right. Are, are you in New Jersey or are you in Western New York right now? I'm Western New York. Okay, cool. Cool. He, he's got COVID right now. He's stuck home. Yeah. Are you? <laughs> oh, you'll be all right. He didn't die. It's like my third um, time getting it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I wanted to um, jump back into actually what, what I brought you on here for your, your, um, your area expertise. Uh, I had you put together a warm-up program for our jiu-jitsu program. So when we do jiu-jitsu, we do the Dr. Crow approved uh, <laughs> warm-ups, and my injury rate has come way down. Um, I was going to say you started an injury prevention program for us, but you don't like the terminology of that. So we'll let you get into that in one second because I know you're ready to just yeah. go, ah! <laughs> <But> <laughs> I wanted to uh, take my personal time and thank you and let – Everyone that does uh, the integrity warm-up that doesn't know, like Dr. Kroll made this warm-up, and we're doing it uh, especially for the muscles that we use in jiu-jitsu and um, to try and keep our body warmed up for what we're going to do in jiu-jitsu. So go ahead. I got to say something about that, Jeff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good idea because a lot of gyms don't <clears throat> have a proper warm-up. No. I, ne I never had, like, everyone's like, oh, all right, go warm-up for two minutes. That's how the warm-up was always at, like, every gym right. I ever did. Or it was a bunch of warm-ups that were, like, sports-specific, which I actually put into our warm-up, too. I added the, the roles and all that stuff because I think developing it, that's a different topic. Let's get Dr. Doc Kroll into uh, his, his area of expertise right now. That's why I got that. No, no so it's, it's kind of exactly how it should go. I, I presented a warm-up plan to you. You came to me and said, hey, come up with a warm-up. And I presented it to you, taught it to you, and then you tweaked it for what you need. And that's kind of how it should go. It's these are overlapping fields of expertise. I'm not an expert in your field. So, you know, I'm like, okay, here's what we need for our, our, our warm up. Here's the good warm start. And then you said, okay, let's add this, let's add this, let's add this. You added on the, um, the neck endurance stuff. It's mm -hmm. cool. Perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. You, you change the order of certain things. You, you change the way you, I did things just a little bit and that's perfectly fine. That's exactly what you should do. You know, you tweak it for what you need and what your students need and what you need personally. So, yeah, I think that's that's really what should happen at most gyms. And to be quite honest with you, it, it takes four to five minutes to do. And it gets everybody warmed up and it lowers your injury rate, which as a business owner is good for you because it keeps people coming in. And that's really what you want. You don't want people out for six, seven, eight months. You know, you don't want people not feeling good during training. Any combat or contact sport, there's going to be injuries. You cannot avoid them, which is why I don't like the term injury prevention. Because if I were to say injury prevention, what do you two think about when you hear injury prevention? If I was to say, oh, okay, right. Ray, Jeff, you guys are going to put your kids into a program that I'm going to run over the summer. It's an injury prevention program. What do you guys think of? Uh, cutting corners with training techniques, I guess, like, uh, no contact or well let me change the question what do you what do you guys think of when school rolls back around in september and in november or october one of your kids tweaks their ankle what do you think of my injury prevention program then i'm like you didn't prevent anything He's yeah hurt. it sucks right your injury prevention right. program stinks it's terrible we cannot prevent injuries look at the nfl they have the very best training People, I mean, the professional soccer leagues in Europe have the very best training staffs, and they don't prevent injuries. Those guys get injured all the time. And it's not just from a crazy hit they take in the field. They get injured sometimes in practice. So 
you can't prevent injuries. So the better way to putting it would be injury risk reduction. That's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to lower risk. It's just like anything else. Risk is essentially, you know, if you do this activity, this outcome may happen. So you can never smoke and still get lung cancer. Just if you smoke, your risk goes up. So if you don't do a proper warm-up, if you don't take care of your body, if you don't do the maintenance, your risk of injury goes up. But there's a lot of people out there that can still never warm up, <laughs> never take care of their bodies, and they're never injured. It's <laughs> incredible. And, you know, Professor Jeff, I'm going to give you a lot of credit here. You've This is one area you've grown tremendously. It's one of the biggest professional growths I've seen in you in a long time, is that one thing you are is unusually durable. <laughs> I mean, you are able to train six, seven days a week hard if you need to. That's not usual. That That is unusual durability. And years and years ago, you were like, this is how you do it. You have to train this hard if you want to do this. It's just train <laughs> hard and don't be a baby about it. <laughs> and you didn't care about the attrition and the bodies left behind. You didn't care about that because it's like, well, if you can't handle the attrition, then you're not tough enough to do this. And you've really grown past that where you're saying, hey, we we have to train at the right level. We have to train the right way. You know, you have to take time off when you need to. So you've become a lot better of not trying to stuff everybody into your mold because your mold is unusual to be quite honest with you. Yeah. I've never so. felt anything different. I don't know. Like I never used to even warm up. I just uh, <laughs> jump on the mat and I train like eight hours and then I go home. Like, yeah. I don't know. You just, a yeah, and then you're, what's that? He's just a caveman. <laughs> Yeah, it's this unusual durability, and it's a great thing. You lean into it because it's an advantage that you have, but most people don't have that. Most people can't train five days a week hard and not run into a wall eventually. And like I said, you've done a lot better job over the past several years of just not trying to stuff everybody into that box and not alienating people that only can train one or two days a week. You're not yeah, leaned into yeah. them and said, hey, train one, two days a week. We'll You'll get promoted or not at the level that you're training at. It's okay if you're stuck at blue belt forever. It's fine. But, you know, if, if you can only train one or two days a week, I'd rather you train one or two days a week versus killing yourself training five. Yeah, I've always thought, like, one day a week is better than nothing because you're you're still going to be able to grow. But mm -hmm. the problem with training one day a week is if you're not studious <clears throat> during the week and you're not thinking about it, like, you don't need to train – uh, you could train one day a week. If you're watching the videos and you're thinking about jujitsu and you're and you're really trying to get better, you can still get better at, at one one class a week because you can come in, you can work the stuff you've been thinking, you can do the drills, you can keep your body in a good enough shape to to really improve. A normal student needs like two to three days a week to to really, really improve because they're not doing drills at home, they're not doing stretches, they're not doing other exercises, they're they're just when they come in, they train and they don't think about it other than that. That mm -hmm. those students usually are the ones that I'm, I lean on to get in there a little bit more because you can tell they don't think about it at home. They're not making any improvements outside the gym. Um, so Mick is a good example. You see Mick, right? And um, mm -hmm. he, I, I don't know if I should say this or not, but he has a little anxiety problem. So like when he trains, sometimes he doesn't pick up the information as it's given, but He'll go home and he'll think about it. And when he comes back the next class, he has it. And to me, that's way better than someone that comes in all the time and like doesn't really uh, learn outside of the class. Like 
So he's spending more time thinking about it and, and working on it than the person is that's in class. So sometimes it's not even about injury prevention. It's just about training. So like my views on that have changed a whole lot just in the way that I see how people train much less, um, much less even just injury prevention, like you're talking about or injury reduction, not prevention because can't yeah. prevent it. Yeah. One of the things I do clinically is I'll always ask people, you know, after, after the end of my subjective portion where I'm interviewing them, finding out what's going on, what happened, why they're there to see me. I always ask people, and I say, this seems like a silly question, but what are your goals? And 85% of people are like, well, I don't want to be in pain or I want to move better. Or I want to find out what's going on, but I get some weird goals and <laughs> it's not up to me to decide what their goals are. It's up to me to find out, okay, what can I do to help them reach their goals if I can't, you know, or do I have to send them to somebody else? And you know, I kind of think the same as in your wheelhouse too. It's like, what are your goals? You know, you're, you have to be in tune with what your students' goals are and what they really want out of coming to jujitsu. Everybody's different for right. why they're on the mat and, you know, everybody's fighting a different battle. And, and, and that kind of moves that line kind of moves all the time. Some people are, they're just sort of hobbyists and all of a sudden, boom, they're right into competitions and they're all in and then they drop back out of that again. And, you know, you, you know, your job is tough because you have to kind of take your class and say, okay, I have competitors and I have hobbyists and I have to sort of work with all of them at the same time. That's, it's pretty tough. So yeah, it's not, not something I envy. <laughs> yeah, it makes, makes me the, uh, not envy that. I get to work with one patient at a time with one set of goals. Yeah. So Cliff Richards, you're never too late to join our party. I don't know uh, who we know, who we, uh, whose friend he is. He's probably Ray's friend if he's late. Oh, yeah. um, he's my friend. <laughs> hi, Ray's friend. Uh, so uh, he jumped in and he wanted to that. But I think the perfect example of this is just what we worked on um, right before the wrestling tournament. Like I came in and you're like, what is your goal? I'm like, I need to make it through today. Mm -hmm. I don't care about tomorrow. Like I just yep. need to get through today. Help me out. <laughs> and it's, it's not my job to tell you what your goal is. It's my job to tell you if it's clinically unsafe. No, that's my job. And I'll tell you that. I don't tell you don't do it. I say, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this, but or I wouldn't do this, but you know, if all right, if you want to do it, fine. Again, it's, it's risk reward. It's not up to me to to tell people how to do it. And I mean, if if you were to take an extreme example of this of risk reward, think of someone like Kurt Angle, right? Do you think he was probably told by somebody at some point, hey, maybe you shouldn't go out there with a fracture in your cervical spine? You know, he was probably told that, right? But what if he had done that? What if he had pulled out? Would we even know who Kurt Angle is at this point in time? Probably not. No, he, he would have faded into obscurity, right? He, he won a gold medal with, as he says, a broken freaking neck. neck. Right? Yeah. So, so not only did he win the gold medal, which got him some level of fame, but that also got him into the WWF, WWE, where he continued his fame. So if you gave Kurt Angle that choice to go back in time, he would do it 100 times out of 100. Yeah, if you were told how it's going to turn out one way or the other, hey, you're going to fade into complete obscurity and be a real estate salesman, you know, middle class guy, or you're going to be, you know, essentially nationally famous and maybe a multimillionaire. I mean, again, all three of us would have taken that any day of the week. I mean, so, that's what football players do like every, right. every practice, every game pretty much. Yeah, it's not up to me to tell people, you know, hey. You know, it's, it's, it's whether it's worth it to me or not is irrelevant. It's whether it's worth it to the person. Yeah. And I appreciate your services. <laughs> I injured my neck before the wrestling tournament and 
couldn't even turn my head. It was terrible. Like, not that I can turn my head very good in the first place, but uh, it was really bad. Dr. Kroll worked on me, and I was in some pretty precarious positions, and I was never, uh, I was never unable to compete due to, like, the pain in my neck, which I really appreciated. Yeah, and I, I went and thought, I'm like, oh, that must have sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Because you were caught in like you were caught in a half Nelson at one point, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, half Nelson armbar, and he's trying to run it over. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's that's got to be uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, right to the sore side too, but I'll, of course, um, I wasn't going to go over. Forget that. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't go there to get pinned. That's right. Uh, so there's a quite a few injuries in jiu-jitsu, and our knees are the, um, like you talk to jiu-jitsu people, they have bad knees and bad necks what can we do to try and have some more injury reduction to our knees and our necks the knees are tough because a lot of traditional knee training is done on the feet so if you think of knee injuries and you know risk reduction on knee injuries you're talking mostly people who are cutting athletes and standing so a lot of the training programs if you ever look up you know knee exercises you're going to find a lot of these are done in standing in jujitsu we're not usually, especially if we suck at takedowns, we just pull a guard, right? And then we get smashed by caveman. He laughs at us, but hey, we pull a guard. <laughs> so, which is what I did to Josh before his, uh, the tournament that he competed in. I, he, we rolled together, so I just pulled guard. I'm like, I know you're going to take me down anyway, which is what everybody's going to think at the tournament. So I'm just going to pull guard. So, but anyway, you're in kind of precarious positions doing all sorts of different guards and twisting your knee and, you know, putting a lot of torque on your knee doing things like triangles. So it's a lot of different challenges on the knee. So really what it comes down to is your hips have to be mobile. If your hips aren't mobile, then your knee is going to have to try to pick up that mobility and pick up that slack. And therein lies a huge problem for a lot of the jujitsu people. Ankles as well. You can try to make your ankle more mobile, but really what we find in ankles is not the dorsiflexion flexion issue where you're pulling your toes up. It's more the twisting motions. And I'm not talking about stopping heel hooks because if a person locks your, your joint out, it doesn't matter how mobile your ankle is and he's still going to snap. And I'm not talking about a heel hook, but I'm talking about the mobility at the ankle and the mobility at the hip to allow the knee to actually get into position without getting torqued itself. Because the one thing the knee doesn't have is the knee doesn't have an inherent way to protect itself. It doesn't have deep muscle like the shoulder does. So the more layers you have of muscle, so layers closer to the skin and then layers deep down, the more ability the, the joint has to protect itself. The knee doesn't have that. The knee has the quads, the hamstrings crossing it in the front and back. It's got a little bit of the adductor, which are muscles that pull your legs together or the groin your muscles groins. as they're commonly called. <laughs> your groins. <laughs> and then it's got a, a fibrous band on the outer side, the IT band. And those are really the, the tissues that kind of dynamically hold it together, meaning under movement. Everything else is ligaments. Ligaments don't contract. They just stop two bones from moving. And when a bone moves too far, the ligament snaps. That's essentially what happens. So again, if the hip is putting the rest of the joint in the position where it can't move, then those ligaments get stressed much quicker. And then and the joint doesn't have any way to protect itself. So really for the jujitsu people, it's getting the spine, getting the hips and getting the ankle nice and mobile and then stable on top of it. So when I say stable, what I mean is the ability to move and then the ability to stop moving. So if you can't move, you're not stable, you're stiff. So the, the big difference between that is stiffness is when your spine doesn't move, you bring that same immobility to your golf swing, to your jujitsu. It can help you in certain positions as 
you know, Jeff and I have noted from jujitsu. Certain people are stiff and it actually helps them. Mm-hmm. I remember I remember you telling who was it? I was it I think it was Joe K. Don't stretch yeah. <laughs> because you're really solid right here. And in yeah. the back of my head, I'm like, no, do stretch, but then stabilize it afterwards. But that takes more work. <laughs> Joe's not about doing extra work. <laughs> no, and it is what it is. So again, it's knowing your audience. Hey, he's not gonna do that. Okay, don't give it to him. <laughs> you know, I, I had a patient actually tell me that one time. She she looked at me after I, I put her through an exercise sink for her home exercise stuff. She goes, I am never ever going to do this. Okay, cool. And that's great because at least I know where we stand. Okay, let's give you something that you're going to do. Let's find something else then. I'd rather have a person tell me that than come back in two weeks and say, yeah, I never did it. So, yeah, getting back to your original thing, spine, always the spine. You want that mobile and stable, hips mobile and stable, and that's going to protect your knees a lot more than your standing exercises like your single leg deadlifts and stuff, which are still important, but they don't translate as directly as they do with a lot of other sports. Right, because there's so much side twisting motion. Like I'm just thinking, Delahiva—that's where my knee gets all messed up. Yeah, Delahiva, absolutely. And mm-hmm. uh, when they, they push your knee in and you keep it in, no matter what, like because you're not gonna let them pop it out. So, like I feel it in my ankle, but it's always in my knee, especially on my left knee. So I had to really stop playing Delahiva just because, um, <laughs> just because uh, uh, it, it's like. A, in, in doable for my knee i can't bring that pressure i can't lift people all the time so like it, it takes away a lot of my ability to even move in that position yeah and i was i was working on bottom with with josh and i was doing some delaheva stuff and he's pushing down on my legs trying to get past them and you know it's just again it's just a different set of positions so one of the the valuable things you want in looking for either a trainer or a, a physical therapist or anybody who's going to be working with you is at least some level of understanding of what you do. You know, you don't have to be a jujitsu black belt to treat people, but you have to at least understand what they do. Because one thing I absolutely hate when PTs or physicians tell people this is, well, just don't do that. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, come on. <laughs> this is what a stupid comment that is. And I've had that said to me before. Yeah, just don't do that. Oh, all right. <laughs> I know I'm not going to see you again. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And I've fired practitioners for stuff like that. I mean, I had a practitioner, a physician looking at his computer. He's looking off to the side, not looking at me at all. And he was using body mass index. So he's looking at my height and weight. Now by body mass index, I'm just shy of being obese by body mass index. Now, if you look at me, I'm not shredded, but I'm not obese. You know, I'm completely not unhealthy looking. He's looking at his screen, not looking at me. He's like, you should start working out. (laughs) Cool. You're fired. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're fired. I mean, come on, do better. Yeah. Now, if it was <laughs> Ray, if it was Ray, it'd be acceptable. <laughs> Listen, I'm six one. No, no Ray's cutting down, man. That's all right. But is it accurate that the you know I'm supposed to be like one seventy if I'm six one, right? Now, body mass index is. It's kind of silly because it, it works pretty well for people who do not exercise at all. People who are sedentary, they're inactive. What it's a good indicator of is health risk. So a heart disease, you know, vascular issues, endocrine issues. It's a great indicator of health risk. But simply put, you don't need BMI. If, if, if someone were to walk in to, to see Professor Jeff 
and say, hey, I'm not active. I don't exercise. Jeff doesn't need a medical license to tell you you're probably at risk for all these things. <laughs> like he doesn't need to be a physical therapist to say you should probably start moving. So BMI becomes far less useful the, the more a person is active and the more they start exercising because muscle is denser than adipose tissue or fat. So that throws that scale way out of whack. So it, it's a general guide. And like I said, it, it's only useful for people who aren't active and they're, they're completely sedentary. But again, you get that, you get better information by asking them questions and you're going to give them the same advice anyway, without the numbers. So yeah, kind of, kind of a useless scale still sticks around because it's easy and it's quick objective data you can throw into a sheet and it looks like you did a lot of work and you were really thorough in your examination and you're not you just threw them on a scale so i got i, I got two <laughs> questions talking about what we're talking about and one might be a dumb question but i'm i, I teach all the time so like if i have a dumb question people listen <laughs> if i have a dumb question so is there any research in any case like if i'm over that bmi with <laughs> Muscle, just because I have more muscular, am I still at more risk for heart disease? Because I'm still carrying more weight in my body for my height. You are still carrying more weight, but your heart's going to adapt to that to some degree. So obviously when you go too far, you know, you can run to fibrous problems in the heart where, where the heart becomes, so the one ventricle of your heart, your left ventricle is going to pump blood out to the rest of your body. Okay. And if you're a marathon runner, that chamber gets bigger to pump more volume of blood because you need blood to all of your body if you're a power lifter we're using the two extremes here that wall gets thicker because it's got to push the blood harder all right so it's going to make different adaptations depending on what you do so if you are a power lifter it's it's going to make that adaptation the way it's supposed to make it but if you go too far into it it can become fibrous and not pump the way it's supposed to so yeah, going too far in any direction is not a problem. But having yeah. a lot of extra mass, it, it's actually more problematic to have a lot of body fat. So if you have a lot of stored body fat, a ton of stored body fat, if you were to take body fat tissue and cut it, you're going to find it's pretty vascular, meaning it's got arteries and veins going in and out of it. Because it has to be able to get that body fat, theoretically, into the bloodstream to be used as energy somewhere else in the body. That's what stored body fat is. It's energy. So it's highly vascular. But you have those little small blood vessels and you have a lot more of them than a person like Professor Jeff who doesn't have a ton of body fat on, right? So if you have to push blood through a lot of small vessels, that changes your blood pressure and raises it. So that's actually far more unhealthy than a person who has a whole lot of muscle tissue and the heart has made the adaptations because a person who's got a lot of adipose tissue and stored body fat hasn't made those adaptations to, to change their, their heart. They haven't challenged their heart, or at least not in a good way. So yeah, it's not it. a it's not a bad thing. It's just again too much of it can go too far. Obviously, you can run into problems, but no, these are all healthy adaptations that happen over time. I love that a lot. That's an answer to the question I've always had. I always want to know if there's research into like like the bigger muscular guys about that too. Brett Richards gave us uh, my boys. Yeah, there's old Brett. That's my man right there. Yeah. Uh, Brett, we still gotta get my website fixed. Brett's my website guy. That I always talk about. So we're, we gotta get that hooked up. Um, that's all good <laughs> yeah he's awesome he does, he does so much stuff for us and you gotta come in and train too man now your babies are gone come come train come do some kickboxing there you um, go <laughs> jared said the military uses bmi not sure if they still do uh he's he was constantly over despite 20 years ago running a first class physical fitness test uh that is that a problem you run into in your field too like um 
military and police using old old uh, standards? Yeah, they, they don't change much. Military and police use BMI. They a lot of them still use Cooper testing. So it's you know th these are things that just stick around because bureaucracies don't change, and governments especially slow to change. So you know these things will stick around. And unfortunately, if you want to play in that realm, you got to deal with their rules. It's just it's silly, and it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. You can present them with all the evidence you want, but they're like, yeah, this is how we do it. So dealing with institutions like that, you're dealing with androids, you know, does not compute, must do what's told, you know, like we, we've all dealt with I mean, any of us. We've all gone to the DMV, so we've all dealt with it, you know? Yeah. And you work with, <laughs> you work right with it too. So I, you probably see it more than anyone else. Skinny fat people, huh? Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh, look, Brett's at the hospital. Like He's always currently in the ER with my pops. I'll message y'all in a bit. Good to see you guys doing live shows for the people. Keep up the good work. Right. Brett was actually one of the first people to be behind us. He sat in all our backstage meetings when we were finding a place to do this and set up our website. So he's an old school guy. So it was good to see him back. Yeah. Ran, ran to Brett before I even had my own shop. So Hope his pops all right. Yes, yeah. always, always. Hope his pops all right. You should see Dr. Crow. He'd be fine. No problem. <laughs> well, well, it depends what it is. I'm, you know, <laughs> we all have our fields of practice, and mine is not um, urgent care. <laughs> so, the other question I had, Ray, I'm sorry to cut you off real quick, but I, uh, uh, Joe Rogan always talks about the knees over toes guy, and uh, he has a lot of uh, somewhat unique exercises for training your knee muscles. Is that? Do you think that would help jujitsu practitioners, or do you think that's a little bit more for the realm of strength? Like Joe Rogan always talks about helping his kicks and stuff. Um, I was wondering if you've seen any of that or, or what you think about that, if you have not. No, that, that that stuff is good. And, you know, part of the thing is, there again, we, we get these things that get stuck in the medical world. Like BMI is one of them, just gets stuck there. And another one is that your knees shouldn't go past your toes in a squat or a lunge. And it's kind of silly. If that movement wasn't supposed to happen, then our body wouldn't be able to do it. You know, or wouldn't be able to do it safely in most people. And most people can go knees over toe or no, you know, knees past toes. It's perfectly fine. So what happens is in everybody, it's not fine. Certain people can't control that. So certain people shouldn't do it. So all three of us here, if we were just to take the three of us as a unit and do, I, I was to give all of us, okay, we're going to do these exercises. We're going to do deep squatting as best we can. Obviously, Professor Jeff doesn't do these very well, but... <laughs> You know, go into, like, I'll say a knees over toes position, either in a lunge or a squat. You know, I may be able to do 100 of them a day, where Ray could do 40 a day before he started having pain, or 50 a day, you know? But the, the point is, everybody's got a different dose limit. Some people can't do it at all. Some people do really well from, respond really well from it. Really, the whole point of the knees past the toes is being able to handle the shear of the bones in your, your lower extremity, meaning the, the femur and the thigh, and mostly the tibia in the, the leg, which is everything below the knee, essentially. So being able to handle that shear is really, really important because you get pushed and pulled and you have to stop quickly. And if you don't, if you don't have that ability to control it, you stress all your ligaments. And that's not good. You know, your ligaments shouldn't get stressed too much. I mean, they should get normal day-to-day -day stress, but they shouldn't get pounded because the, the joint can't protect itself. So yeah, knees over toes is perfectly fine. It just got stuck in orthopedics heads that you shouldn't do it. And once things get stuck, it's hard to get rid of them, you know? So 
you get old school information that pops out there. Yeah, you don't do this. Don't do knees over toes. I mean, people do it all the time. Two other Perfectly things that fine. he does that I started doing myself, I incorporated in my training, is one is he likes to pull the sled backwards. So he pulls a weighted sled and he pulls it backwards to put load on the back of your knees. And the other thing he uh, he talks about is walking backwards uh, uphill on the treadmill. And I added both of those to my, uh, like when I go to the gym, I try and do that like at least once a week. And mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to tell whether it's helping or not because it's all anecdotal, you know, I, I don't really know. I was just wondering if you, if there's any kind of empirical research on that kind of stuff. That's uh, more your field than mine. Yeah, that there is evidence on it that is, it's getting more and more support. But really the, the theory behind it is, you know, you don't want to just protect the knee going forward. You want to protect it going backwards as well. So protecting the knee going forward and backwards is an interplay between the quads on the front and the hamstrings on the back to simplify it. It's an interplay between the two. They're not on and off. They're working together to stabilize the joint and to allow the knee to move, the leg to move with the knee in flexion and extension and the hip to move flexion and extension. So working backwards is just sort of reversing the equation in terms of the load, but it's perfectly fine. And it's a good thing to protect the knee because, again, we do move backwards. We do move forwards. We want to be able to protect the knee in, in a whole bunch of different positions. So, yeah, the theory behind it is fantastic. It's just, you know, one of the things I find in, you know, if, if you guys go into the Instagram wormhole and you go into the research wormhole, I mean, just start searching exercises on Instagram or TikTok and you're going to find all these exercises that you have to do, Right. And if you add them all in, you're doing about 15 hours of exercises every single day. And that's just not reasonable. So, you know, you have to sort of piece together your program as, for what you need, you know, whether it's jujitsu or running or just day-to-day stuff. I have clients that do 15 minutes of hygienic movement that I've given them every single day. And if they don't do it, they, they learn real quick that, boy, I really should do this. I have one guy who's like, I do half my program in the shower, and then I do half my program out of the shower, and it works perfectly fine, and then I can still play softball, I can still run, I can still do all my stuff. And, you know, as you get older, you, your body just needs more movement hygiene. It's just the way it is. And I call it movement hygiene because it sort of sets it in the right realm. You know, when we think of hygienic things, you're never done with it, right? Like, you're never done brushing your teeth. You're never done taking care of your skin. You're never done taking care of your you know, your hair, uh, not Ray, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like you're never done taking care of these things. So even if I was a tell person, you know, when are you done brushing your teeth? Cause that's usually my response when someone says, do I have to do exercises forever? I'm like, do you have to brush your teeth forever? <laughs> I got good you teeth. Yeah, <laughs> then you, get, you got, you got great China. You got great China. It's awesome. <laughs> no, but it's really the truth though. You're, you're never done. And, and even if you're like, well, I'll just, get dentures you have to take care of those too so you're still never done (laughs) your oral hygiene never ends and your movement hygiene never ends either it's just for whatever reason you know 0.8 percent of our mass gets all this attention two minutes two times a day and then the rest of us all our muscles and joints and bones and everything else gets eh, i'll take care of it after it's injured okay Yeah, I don't know how we got the short of that stick, but so what do you say to a, what advice would you give a guy in his 40s and want to start training kickboxing or jujitsu and he got a torn bicep muscle that he never got surgery for? 
is it functional? It'd be the first question. Like, I mean, what limitations does the person have? Because just because they have a torn bicep muscle doesn't mean they've lost any function. Right. There's a lot of redundancy in the body. And if it's still functional and operational and, you know, honestly, what you do is you just ramp your way up into it the same as anything else. You start trying it. And if you find that hitting something four times a week is causing problems, then knock it down to twice a week. If you find that twice a week is causing problems, knock it down to one. If you find that you can't tolerate it at all, then maybe it's not the sport for you. That person is me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I figured. I, there, there's almost always when a person says, yeah, but, I, I have a question about this. Like, you know, They're usually talking about themselves. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. I could hit the punching bag with my hand, my arms. It, it, it's good. It's just, I just wonder, if, is there any exercise I should do for it? My, Again, it, it's these things are always personalized. So if I was to say, yeah, do these three or four exercises, that's really not appropriate because I don't know what's going on with it. Gotcha. You know, so, I mean, you can do sort of generic shoulder exercises and generic bicep exercises, but it could be a mobility problem in the spine that's leading to all that. It could be stability issues in the shoulder. It could be muscle endurance in the bicep or anything else. So you're far better off getting getting it really looked at and saying, okay, here's what's going on versus the sort of shotgunning and trying to guess. Yeah, but, but going into the activity, you got to find out if, if you can tolerate it in the first place. You know, so and, and some people can, some people can't. I I have people all the time that that want to do this activity and they just can't tolerate it. Their body keeps rejecting it. Okay, it's not the activity for you, which is perfectly fine. But if you want to force your way into it, then you got to deal with the outcomes of your body, you know, shutting down on you. I would show you how good Dr. Crow fixed my bicep if I didn't have this great integrity sweater. <laughs> I uh. Yeah, I tore my bicep off down here at the elbow, and uh, I had it surgically repaired, and uh, I saw Dr. Kroll, and I was back on the mass, and, well, I was back on the mass in the day, but I wasn't supposed to be, but I was, um, <laughs> I was back, like, at full capacity, like, three months sooner than uh, the doctor even said, like, they're like, don't lift anything, Dr. Kroll had me lifting in, like, two weeks, and, like, we were, like, we were downstairs drilling the arm drive, like, I still have videos that pop up in my memories all the time, and, uh, mm-hmm. like, this is one of the things about Dr. Kroll that really made me um, like truly loyal to him all the way through is like how he got me back from that injury. And like at the, at the time, like I didn't really take care of my body. And I, I started after that to take one day a week just to dedicate to working on Dr. Kroll and make myself better too physically and, you know, just keep my body healthy. Yeah. And that was hard for you. <laughs> it's still hard to this day. Because what happens is a lot of people look at, skill development and they say okay i want to get better at jujitsu so they make the pretty obvious connection that if i want to get better at jujitsu i need to do more jujitsu right which makes sense and sure it works but you know if you're a better athlete you're going to pick up the skills of jujitsu faster if you move better you're going to be a better athlete which means you're going to pick up the skills of jujitsu better if you're healthy you're going to move better you're going to be a better athlete you're going to pick up the skills better so working on everything that supports that is as important as anything else. I'm not saying you should spend all of your time doing athletic training and movement training, but enough where you're fixing the holes in your jujitsu, you know, or, or you can pick up these movements better. You know, we all have different movement profiles and some of them can change. Some of them cannot. But again, if we, if we take care of all those things, again, healthy, move well, be a better athlete, then, your, your jujitsu game or your running game or your dancing or your kickboxing or anything is going to get better. 
And that's really tough for people to pick up on because, again, they don't like to do things that don't look exactly like the scale. And I'm going to make a, a blanket statement problem. here that Dr. Kroll is probably going to hate. <laughs> blanket statement at low. <laughs> if you're post 34 and you were a competitive athlete for most of that time and you're still doing the athletic practice, you should be a CNPT because you're going to have injuries and deficiencies that you don't even know anymore because you've covered it with skill. And it's definitely affecting your performance. And I found so many holes in my game where going Dr. Kroll, even just coming back from the bicep, because we I had a bicep injury. We looked at my knees, we looked at my squat, we looked at my uh, thoracic problems, and all these things I've made up for over the years with just changing my skill set in jiu-jitsu. And since I we added the flexibility routine in the morning uh, in the beginning of practice, I feel better. I'm going back to my inversion and I used to play like forever ago. Just the other day I was upside down, Ryan was on top, I was taking his back. I was like going upside down, inverted from full guard to inversion to a back take. Like I haven't done that since like my early 30s. And um yeah. man, I, I feel so much better in the mass in, in this last year or so from just that warm up, I think. Simply put, if, if you make a living with your body in any way, shape, or form, if you are a competitive athlete in any way, shape, or form, you should be seeing someone, you know, a kinesiologist, an athletic trainer, a personal trainer who knows what the hell they're doing. You know, not me in 2004. I was a god-awful personal trainer in 2004. I was fucking terrible. But um, <laughs> but honestly, I like if, if, if you're a, a Josh Allen or a Stefan Diggs and you don't have a private physical therapist working with, like, I don't understand that at all. Like those high-level athletes that don't. I mean, Novak Djokovic, I mean, you guys are aware of him. He's a high, very high-level tennis player. He brings a sports psychologist on the road with him. Now, I, I don't expect people who, you know, want to do a couple tournaments locally at, as an amateur level to have a sports psychologist. But, you know, it's, it's always strange because people see the exercises that the pro players do, the UFC guys and that. And they'd say, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. And then they don't want to do all the other things that are underneath. Like, they want to do the drills that Tom Brady was doing and Peyton Manning was doing. Well, do you want to study film for four hours a day? You know, do you want to have a year-long eating program like Tom Brady had? Like, do you want to do all these things? And they're like, no, 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 I just want to do the drill that looks like football. Okay. <laughs> but you're not going to get better. You know, like it's just, the reason that drill works for him is because he does all those things on the under underside. So... Yeah, I mean, even a, you know, marginally competitive athlete, you don't have to see a physical therapist every week, but check in with them every six months or so. I have people that check in with me every six months or as needed. You know, they're changing something up. They make an appointment with me. Okay, let's take a look at this and make sure everything's going okay. You know, let, let's find where the holes are in my game because I know I've been overdoing my training. So I haven't been doing the stuff that I should be doing. Let's kind of fix this and hit the reset button. Yeah, I, I don't understand why why most people don't do that. But again, it's it's when you're in your 20s, you don't have to. So that behavior kind of gets um, reinforced. And then you try that technique post 34, as Professor Jeff said, and <laughs> eventually you fail your body. I'm not going to say your body fails you because your body usually tells you, hey, dipshit, don't do this. Or I need some help. I need something. And you just say, ah, whatever. You know, throw some tape on it. It's fine. You know. You know, take some ibuprofen, whatever. Let's go in the ice bath. It's it's all good. And then, you know, eventually you let your body down. And hey, look at that. I don't. My shoulder doesn't work anymore. <laughs> if you say only young people can do that, that's the time you should start seeing uh, someone that can look at your movement. 
Right, because you know, yeah, only young people can do that. And when you're talking about things like explosiveness and reflexes, all that stuff decreases with age. But your mobility should not. Your ability to move should not. So, yeah, should you be? Are you going to be doing explosive takedowns the same way a 22 year old would be doing them? You probably no, I mean, no. <laughs> You're probably not going to. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's still possible. You still should be able to do the movements. It's just you know, stay in your uh, age class. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've learned that the hard way. We, we, we need your gym to grow so we can have the over 40 class so people like me can go in there and roll around in peace and not get slammed by all the monsters. <laughs> Except you're one of the monsters. I'm no, not a monster. I'm not. I, I'm nothing, there man. you are. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm very gentle. <laughs> you all, all the post 40 guys are all the monsters in the gym. No. Will's a monster. I, I had to wait for Will to calm down before I started rolling with him. I just started rolling with him a couple Will. weeks ago. Will's the exception that rule. You're right. Will Will's the exception that rule. I I don't know why I didn't think of him as post forty. He's very young looking. But you're yeah. you're like you're tough to deal with, Jared. Like all you big guys, they're all older. Forty plus last last doubles. That's right. That's why I stay I stay away from the place on Sundays. When I when I see cars start to pull in into the lot, I, I I end my workout upstairs really quick and I slither out the front door. Like I don't want to get smashed by all those monsters. You'd love it today. We closed all the windows, turned the heat on. It was awesome. Awesome. Was a- <laughs> Wonderful. I had my air conditioner going and ready, and I had an additional fan. I was sixty four degrees, just the way we we like it. We left puddles of sweat all over the place today. It was good. Yeah, I, I like when you lied to me the other day and said, "Oh, I'm getting an air conditioner in here." Oh, okay. I'm going to. I'm going to. Yeah, I really am going yeah, to. Yeah, you aren't. I'm. Um, <laughs> I was going to do it this weekend, and then I got busy. I'm. I'm definitely going to do it. Yeah, but then you're going to charge everybody a dollar to have you turn it on. Uh, more than that, I got to make up the difference in rent. Wow, the whole twenty-five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> A dollar per class per person. There you go. That'll make it up real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Corporate caveman. Yeah, I'll tell you, though, it's it's one of those things I, you know, we all have different abilities to train and abilities to tolerate certain things. I don't do well in the heat. And I'm aware of that. And I don't tell you how to run your business. If you want to leave it hot and whatever, that's fine. Um. Yeah, I, I just have certain things I have to deal with health-wise. I'm, I'm not overly durable. I mean, as if I didn't train the way I do, I would be crippled. You know, I, I'm not durable like you are. And I, I don't have a great health tolerance like you do. So I have to really be careful if I about how I eat before classes. Like, I can't eat anything heavy three, four hours before class. Um, I've really had to really explore a lot of changes in my diet to try to stop my blood pressure from dropping during rolls. I mean, it's, it happened a couple weeks ago because I went out of town and I'm, I got out of my routine for uh, like three or four days and uh, <laughs> it was a mess. And then I felt a lot better maybe a week later when I got back on my routine. But yeah, you really have to be honest with yourself as to what you're willing to tolerate and what you need to do and what you need to, to do going into your training. You can't just be like, Oh, you know, do this and do that. Like I had will ask me the other day, like, you know, when should you eat before, training i'm like everybody's different you gotta find what works for you some people can wolf like professor jeff could wolf down a burrito during warm-ups and eh, whatever you know it's all good <laughs> me i not no no go it's like three or four hours i can't have anything heavy after three or four hours before training i, I know it 
So, yeah, you you, just, you really have to take stock in yourself and what you can do training wise, and you know it, that that is your responsibility as a, a patient and as a member of a gym, and it's your responsibility to yourself to be aware of, of what your body's telling you. Okay, a couple things to clear clear up. I couldn't eat a burrito before class. I can't eat anything too greasy, and then train like that. I I have to run to the bathroom. I'll be fine training, but I have to <laughs> run to the bathroom, and then I have to like take. Ah, uh, sorry guys, I gotta run to the bathroom. Figure out where I'm on your own. That, that happened, right. That's happened more than once when I had a burrito or something right before class, or and then in the middle of class I got to run out like after the warm ups. So but, what would you say? Will you eat some fruits? No, I for me like I can eat anything as long as it's not greasy. So like if it's I could eat like I could eat a full steak with like you know nothing horrible on it like just eat a steak or like a potato and then train immediately after I'd be fine but I can't eat like uh anything with, like mayonnaise or grease or like fried or anything like that that's that's not too clean and honestly the carnivore diet is the best thing that I've ever done as far as training I can eat whenever and just eating the clean meat is like Man, it was great. And then as soon as I get off the diet, I feel a difference immediately. My inflammation goes way up. Uh, like I just got off the day of mac and cheese today. I feel terrible right now while I'm sitting here. I can feel bloated and feel my elbows swelling up. And some of it's psychological, I know, but some of it's not because when I go to the class tomorrow, my knee's swollen up. Like that's not psychological. That's that's uh, physiological, you know, like it's not like it hurts. It is. It'll be literally swollen tomorrow when I go there because um, I had soda too. So I you know that'll, hey, that'll definitely get me good. Yeah. What do you think about 16-hour fasting? So well, fasting has been something that has gotten popular. Um, fasting workouts, fasting, you know, intermittent fasting. There are medical risks to it that, again, you have to be aware of. So if you're diabetic, and, and one of the problems is some people don't know they're diabetic. So then they go into this fasting thing, and then all of a sudden their blood pressure tanks, and then their, their blood sugar tanks, and they have all sorts of problems with it. So you do really, and I hate to say this because it's it's such a generic line, but you really do want to speak with a medical professional about it. You know, it's not like, please speak to a physician before starting this program. No, <laughs> you really do want to make sure that it's the right thing for you. So does intermittent fasting work? Yeah, for some people, absolutely it does. Does fasting workouts work? Yeah, absolutely for some people it does, but for others it doesn't. So the best thing you can do is try some degree of it. So let's say instead of a 16 hour fast, how do you do with a 10 hour fast? Do a workout when you first work up, wake up in the morning, don't eat three or four hours before bed if you sleep a normal schedule, I'm like caveman over here. You know, but if you are sleeping, let's say six, seven hours a night, or if you're at least in bed six, seven hours a night, don't eat three hours beforehand, see how you do with 10 hours. You know, see how you tolerate it, see how you tolerate 12 hours, 14 hours. Some people can't, and again, it's, all these things work just for different people. So you, it, it's, it's kind of your job to try these things out and fit them in. You just have to understand that there are some medical risks. It's not great for everybody. So you, you do want to start talking to the right people and start getting a profile. And if, and if you are the type of person who, you know, haven't seen a physician in seven years, you only go to urgent care when there's a problem, you know, and you get an, an antibiotic if you need it from an urgent care, you never go see a physician, then you, you're definitely the one that should be talking to someone. And it doesn't have to be a physician. It can be, it can be anyone who just knows a lot about it. It could be a nutritionist. It could be a dietitian. It could be, you know, I, I know an occupational therapist that she is really big on this stuff, and she's she's a great resource. Her name's Kelly Mayhar, and she works out of Rochester. She's she uh, I think her program is called Kelwell, which is kind of cool. I don't have a cool name like that. You know, my name is Kelly Ryan's with everything, but no, she's great, and she 
she can talk people through it. And she's not the type of person that's going to be like, oh, yeah, do this because this is the program I sell. She's like, do this because it's the right thing for you or not. So, yeah, it, it, no, it's, it's a good question. But it, it's, you, you just definitely, again, want to work your way into it, not just dive into it. And when people dive into things and fads, that's when they get into trouble. It's like when um, barefoot running and minimalist running got really popular. People threw minimalist shoes on or threw their shoes in the garbage and then started going barefoot and running 15 miles a week and then having stress fractures instead of easing their way into it. So, You're a big thing for that shoes, right? Oh, yeah. I, I like barefoot minimalist training. But again, it's what I tell people is fix your, fix your gait and fix your stride and fix your running form with the minimalist. And then go back to your regular shoes because it doesn't change. You know, um, I remember one time we were doing one of the workouts outside at Meadowbrook and I started running and <laughs> Professor Jeff's like, oh my God, look at his calves. <laughs> and it's because I was doing the minimalist that I got that running form. I got onto my midfoot and forefoot and started doing everything, you know, running in a way that was beneficial for me. And then I went back to wearing regular shoes to protect my feet. Like so roll with Dr. Kroll. Yeah, that's an easy W. That's a restaurant for most people. No, no, for your visit. Roll with Dr. Kroll PT. Oh, there you go. Roll with Dr. <laughs> Kroll. I, I get a lot better if I'm going to do that. Yeah. I'm still a hobbyist. <laughs> for sure. Um, two quick things I want to talk about the business. Number one, I think the training room should be climate controlled for um, regular students. And this is one of the reasons why I want to get air conditioning. I think it's important that um, you're in a comfortable comfortable environment to learn because I think it's important to learn in a relaxed environment so that you can actually learn technique and not everyone wants to come and compete. And I think the heat training is really important for people that want to do tournaments and it's why it's a competition class. So this is like completely different than like a regular class. And like, I'm like, all right, we're going to shut the windows and turn the heat on now guys. So now's the time. If you can't keep up, you should, you should not be here. Right. Mm -hmm. This is um, what we need to do to compete for tournaments because and the tournaments is either going to be really hot or really cold. There's never right. any climate control. And yesterday uh, at Grappling Industries, it was probably like 90 degrees in there. And wow. it's hot. And when you fight, it's hot. When the lights are down on you and, and you're in a cage, the mats are hot and you feel overheated and your body feels like that all the time. And I think it's a perfect simulation. If you can train like that, you can fight like that. And mm -hmm. I try and make sure I watch everyone, make sure not everyone's looking dizzy or they're going to pass out like it's it's constant monitoring too. So like, it's tough for me to, to be as involved in class as I wanted to be at, at first I was doing every class and I was like banging with people. And then like, I realized I just, I need to really make sure no one like passes out or gets hurt. Cause it gets, they don't it's, want that. Hot in there. it's terrible. So I need to make sure that I'm watching everyone, make sure not no one's looking lethargic or, or anything like that. But I, I think it's the best way to train. And like, this is how wrestlers have done for a very long time. So I, it's just, it's tradition, but there's tradition with a reason. Well, there, there are certain things that are postural, positional and environmental demands that you can't get around. So even when I work with my patients, just because I say, okay, this isn't good for you. Well, they work at GM and they're five years away from a pension. They're not quitting their job. <laughs> you know, they're not. And it's, it's okay. I have to work around that. So, if you have to train in a certain environment because you have to compete or perform in a certain environment, then you should. You should try to simulate that as best you can. And again, just because I may say, eh, you know, 
temperature with humidity, when you add those two factors together, you can run to real health risks and health problems. Yeah, that's why they don't train kids outside in, you know, August when it's really hot and really humid because it's not safe. Or at least they shouldn't. And when they do, they run to problems. But again, if you're going to be going to these tournaments and it's 90 degrees in there with 85% humidity and you walk in and you're sweating already, well, that's the environment you got to be in. So you should probably train for that environment. You know, firefighters, police, military, miners, longshore fishermen, you know, oil riggers, they, they have to work in environments that I would say are not safe, but that's the environment they have to work in. So you should probably train for that environment and be able to, to deal with that environment. So, yeah, and if you can't, then you can't. And that's not, again, that's your responsibility as a competitor and as a human being to say, eh, this, this isn't going to work for me. I can't do this. Yeah, so, I mean, we can work around. Like, it's not, you know, like, hopefully everyone knows that they can just talk with me and we can, we can change something for them too. And mm-hmm. we'll always do that. Um, yeah, but you're going to be forthcoming enough with them to say, hey, we can change this to make it 64 degrees in here. But just understand when you go there, it's going to be 90 sometimes and you're not going to perform well because you're being thrust into a 100% situation in an environment you're not ready for. Yeah. So and like, like it, you're, it, forth, it, you're forthcoming about it. it. Yeah. You want that terrible feeling because that's, if you fight someone that you're going to feel that at some point, it's going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you being forthcoming about it and it is what it is. Fires are definitely not safe to work in. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's just certain certain jobs are inherently unsafe, and it is what it is. But you know, you have to train for it. Oh, Jared's got a good one. Get swole, get swole <laughs> <to> crawl. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there we go. Nice. <laughs> oh man, I love that. Oh man. <clears throat> People are crazy. Like probably. Jared's got the cat. People actually feel good. The more you sweat and train, the less you bleed in war. Abraham Lincoln, probably. There you go. <laughs> Abe Lincoln wrote it on the internet, so it must be true. Yeah. Oh, man, I got such a leg cramp while we're talking about it. <laughs> I was so hot, and I'm so dehydrated right now, and I'm drinking caffeine. Um, there you go. There are some exercises that you 1,000% hate, and uh, for one of them is knee extensions, and the other one is the leg press. Uh, can you talk about why you hate those two exercises and any of the other ones that you actually think that people should not do? Well, the, the, the knee extension and the knee extension doesn't hurt people. It's just time is valuable. Time is a resource. So if you waste your time, it's not good. Right. So one of the things I did with you is I actually pared things down. Right. Because again, when you're training for a fight or you're training for anything, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, if, if we're going to use your case, for example, you got to train your boxing, your tie, your wrestling, your, your jujitsu, you have to train all of it. So you can't waste your time in the gym doing useless exercises. And what you don't see is you don't see a carryover effect from doing a knee extension, sitting in a machine, kicking your legs out like this. You don't see a carryover effect into anything else. You know, th- there's been studies done where they would look at, okay, the quadriceps are a big muscle used in a squat. So a squat's a pretty functional exercise that has a ton of carryover and everything else. So they had people doing knee extensions and it didn't make their squat any better. Even though their knee extension on the machine got better, their squat didn't get any better. So it didn't translate. It doesn't translate into almost any athletic movement. It's fine for a rehab tool in certain instances. If you use it briefly and then move on to something more functional and useful. When I say functional, what I mean is it 
the exercise carries over into other activities. That's what functional means. So people throw that word all around all the time. That's what it means. You do this exercise, it makes you better at this. That's a functional exercise. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I don't like it because it wastes time. Time is way too valuable of a resource. The leg press doesn't have a lot of uses for most people. Now, we've talked about this before, and you've actually said, okay, it actually has a use for me in this realm. So for someone like you or someone who's doing the same things that you're doing, yes, the leg, the leg press will have a use for you. Because again, you're in that position where you are pressing people off you. And you actually did show that in class. I think it was like three or four weeks ago. There was an exact yep. moment where the, exactly the leg press came up and it was <laughs> the exact same movement. But one of the things I don't like about the leg press for most people is it takes their spine and sort of rounds it when the weight comes down. So what's going to move is the thing that can move the easiest. So when the, the legs come down, instead of the knees bending and the hips bending, the spine rolls. Mm. So you're in a, a position where the spine is, the curve is reversed. And then you're pushing a lot of weight against it because the leg weight can be, the leg press can really be loaded up. So is it inherently safe? Mm, I wouldn't say it's inherently unsafe. Most people do it just fine. I'd rather see a squat and deadlift. But, you know, one of the things with the leg press is because you can load up so much weight and the legs are so difficult to gain size on without putting a ton of weight on it, the leg press is never going away. So I can tell people all day, it's not the best thing for your spine. Squatting is actually a lot better for you. It doesn't matter. People are still going to do it. Um, the knee extension is just more of a time waster because it doesn't translate. At least a leg press, if you're doing jujitsu, yeah, you can make an argument for it like Professor Jeff did to me before. But, yeah, it's so it's, it's not that I hate the exercise. I hate people wasting their time. Uh, so you said leg extension is pretty much an uh, aesthetic exercise then. So it does give you that nice rounding on your quad. It's just not really functional. Yeah, it right? doesn't translate I mean, to anything. You so if, like if you're bodybuilding, body it's fine. It. Yeah, if you're bodybuilding, it's fine. Because that's what you're yeah. doing. That's your goal. Because then it is functional. I mean, it's not really tying to function, but it's tying to what you're trying to do. Okay, you're trying to hypertrophy and try, trying to work certain muscle fibers in a certain way. Fine. But again, for 99% of people, people who are not bodybuilding, there's a lot better things you can do that will actually so translate it to something talk useful. about. Is there any other big ones that you see a lot that are mm -hmm. probably not good for you? The empty can one is not great. So the empty can is when you're doing some sort of shoulder raise with the thumb down. So kind of like that, right? Or you're doing some sort of side raise with the thumb down. And that sort of came out from old research in the 80s and 90s where they would actually take EMGs and put them into the muscles of the shoulder, like the rotator cuff. And and they would take electrodes, put them in there, and they would find that when you did the empty can shoulder raise, that the muscle would turn on. And people were like, wow, this is a great muscle that's turning on the rotator cuff, and that's really what we want. Well, all the EMG does is tell you if there's electrical activity. And what was happening was the rotator cuff was actually getting impinged, it was getting squeezed, and it was getting pissed off. And that's really what was happening, why the electrical signal was turning on. It was getting mad. So it was just a bad use of data. But the exercise stuck around for well over a decade as this is great shoulder rehab and then people weren't getting better so you don't see that one too much anymore um i think it is in the original p90x program the the empty can he may he may call it a poor fly i'm not sure which one he calls it but um again it's it's, it's not the end of the world if you do it it's just not great so but that one hasn't really stuck around too much damn it right stop clicking that thing are giant calves genetic or can you grow them? 
Yeah, you can hypertrophy any muscle of the body. You put enough weight against it, uh, but just certain people are predisposed and have a genetic buildup to to gain the Jared calves. If anyone doesn't know that's watching this podcast, that Jared guy that keeps popping in has the most giant perfect calves I've ever seen on a human being. They're like jacked too. They're not only just big, but they're like so like defined and vascular. They look it looks amazing. Yeah, when he goes up on his toes, he actually pushes the ground away. Yeah. He's like Chuck Norris. <laughs> He's a monster. Jared's a beast. Jared's actually much calmer to roll with now, which I appreciate. Yeah, me too. Oh, my God. I, I, I See, I, I'm sort of stuck in the area of jujitsu where I think I've talked to you about this before, that I'm not good enough to protect myself against people who are crazy and wild. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm, you know, like Ilfri is. You are. Joe K is. Joe K is better than I am, technically. So he can protect himself when people are going crazy. I can't. So I remember when I rolled with Jared early on and Jared was not as calm as he is now, I had to be kind of a jerk to him a few times because I had to protect myself. You know, it's nothing against Jared. It's just everybody starts that way, you know, and that's, that's why I'm kind of a, no, you're, you're all right, Jared, you're fine. But it is, it is what it is. So that's, that's why I kind of stay away from the very new, uh, new white belts that you get coming in sometimes because I, I don't want to have to go nuts on them. Just to protect myself. Mm-hmm. I just I, I I can't get caught in a bad spot like you can. You can get caught in a bad spot. It's no big deal. You know. Like, uh, that like, still hurts me too. Like I just have more means to deal with it, and I'm more right. durable too. I think. Like I think this all goes back to my durability somewhat too. Um, I'll let people do stuff to me. Like I know right about when I'm going to be injured because I've been past the point of injured like so many times. Like I know. Mm-hmm. All right, I better do something right now, or I'm going to be injured. And uh, like it always hurts. Like. I'm always hurt, so I, I can't. It's not really. It's just a constant thing. So I know if I get injured and I, I take movement away, like it's not good. I know I'm always gonna have pain. That's the. That's what I I, I give up to do what I do. You know, like I I've known that we talked about that like ten years ago. Like this was gonna to be the result. You know, but as long as I stay functional, I'm like I'm happy with it. You know, that's that was my goal, and that's our goal as a, a training team. Yeah, it's um, like when I roll with. Josh or Joe K or you know I've, I've rolled with Brian once or twice you know they're all capable of ramping it up five percent of the time like mm-hmm. you're you're well you're well past the point you can ramp it up half a percent of the time like yeah. you're not going to go from 30 percent to 90 and neither is Joe K or Josh so it's it's nice to roll with them because I don't have to worry about them just going bonkers at any point in time but the the newer white belts yeah they'll they'll go from 50% and then all of a sudden they'll they'll see red. Oh, there's an arm and then they'll go crazy. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so then you either have to just let them finish it or, you know, smash them. <laughs> yeah. It's a, man, it's such a tough area in jiu-jitsu to, as a coach, I, I struggle with this. And I see it other places and you see like a lot of gyms don't let people roll till they have a certain level of experience, usually like their first tip. And I think it's just when you first start rolling, you just don't want to lose. And then, mm-hmm. like, you don't really have the tools to understand what percent you're rolling at and you want to win. So you're always trying to win. And everyone says, just win all the time, you know. But really, the practice room is about getting better. And it's, some people find out quicker than others um, how you do that. And the, the way to do that is to not injure your training partner. And then mm-hmm. at some point, if you're going to be a competitive athlete, like uh, – 
Will has ramped his spazziness up to a point where now it's not as spazzy it is effective because mm-hmm. now he's not like wildly flailing elbows or, or uh, flailing locks. He's like, he's just attempting the techniques at a, a higher rate of performance than we do. So it's yep. more competition level entries. And like, I think that's, that's good. And you should be training with people like minded, you know, and like how you separate those people. This is all the stuff that I'm, I'm trying to work on as an owner. And like, I'll be upfront with it. Everyone else says they got methods, but every gym I've gone to, it's always the same problem. So like, it's a, a work that I'm trying to do and any input that you guys ever offer, like I'll, I'll always take. Well, it's, it's not just a matter of the people you have in the room, but the people, the people you have in the room, they're, they're changing month to month with mm-hmm. what they want. You know, some people are training for competitions or some people just, they come in amped up for whatever reason. And it's, it's tough to deal with. So you, you're constantly dealing with moving goalposts and sliding scales and just constantly changing dynamics of the room. You know, you never know who's going to show up for class that day. Yeah. So you just don't know what you're going to get. It's, it's tough. And again, you don't know what, what, <laughs> again, someone just might be having a bad day and they go bonkers. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing that's, that's tough to deal with, but usually you can see that because um, they're just a little bit off. Like it's just something you have to be aware of when you're monitoring the room. And then like the other thing that we deal with is we have small class sizes. So like everyone's kind of got to roll with everyone, you know, there's not, it's hard to avoid people when there's like six people. Like mm-hmm. you do five rolls with six people, you're going to have to roll with someone that's a little bit more intense. Um, but you can always take a roll off and never force a roll anyone, but then you're not getting trained. So right, right. man, it's a, it's a tough line. And if you ever have any suggestions, I'll always listen to them. Well, it was, it was nice. Actually, I think the last time I rolled with Ray, we were at uh, Meadowbrook. We weren't even in the new place yet. I haven't rolled with you since we since Jeff moved over to Wurlitzer. But uh, no, it was nice because you were actually calm being 35 pounds heavier than me. <laughs> it was nice. <laughs> yeah, because when I roll, I roll to learn, and I was learning. So mm-hmm. I'm not there to beat everybody, anybody. I'm just trying to learn. Mm-hmm. And you are a good guy to learn. Well, well so- sometimes I'm all right. <laughs> no, you're a very good guy to learn from, actually, because you you'll you work with people and you figure out the technique yourself, and you can tell whether it works or not on your own because you know how good technique feels, and you're like, man, I'm using too much muscle here. This is not right. And then, like, you're not afraid to ask, and then we always get it right, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that. So when a room's like five people, it's easy to get everyone right. When a room's like 10 people, I need you. If you're having a problem, people need to ask. And then, like, I can help. Because, I'll, you know, I usually spend – there's always one group that has trouble. So you're always spending a lot of time with one group no matter what. And there's always one group that's going to be lacking behind. Usually it's because no one wants to work with those two people because they're both new. So you got two brand-new people that can't get the top pressure right and the bottom pressure right. So it's just a hot mess. So then first you got to fix the person that's giving the pressure, and then you got to do the person fixing the move or fix the person doing the move. So uh, you usually spend a lot of time doing that. And um, actually at integrity, it's really good because usually one of you guys grabs the new person and then it works out perfect. But uh, it's not always like that generally. So I, I appreciate you guys doing that too. Well, I, I think one thing you, you do pretty good, and I, I don't know if you do it with everybody else, but you do it with me a lot and I, I like it, is you'll sort of, you'll throw a handicap my way and not to be a jerk about it, but you're like, I want you to start going to the weak side. I want you, I don't want to see you on top. I want to see you on the bottom. And that's good because I'm like, yeah, shit, I'd rather be on top and just <laughs> be my statue self. Like I usually am. But, uh, yeah. 
No, it's like I was uh, working with, I forgot the guy's name, but he was a um, newer white belt. And I remember when we were doing the one live drills where it was the back control and back escapes and stuff like that. And you looked right at me and said, and if you're a lot better than the guy, make sure you let him work. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> he was brand new. And yeah. so, yeah, just, just let him work and you know, try to be a good partner. It's, it's not always easy to do, but. No, yeah, yeah. you're one of the good partners to have. Like, you're a really good guy. And uh, even though you're big, and, like, sometimes people get hurt when you roll with someone big. Like, that's how it is. But usually it's because they're going a little bit higher with you, too. And that's mm-hmm. that's what happens. Like, if you're if you're going to go hard, the person that's rolling with you got to protect themselves, too. And it's a, it is a combat sport. Yeah. And, and then, again, I'm not, I'm not technically good enough to really let myself get into horrible positions a lot. You know, I, I have to get aggressive and just fling the person off of me or you know do something it's just like sometimes it sucks but <laughs> you know again I, I i can't be injured I, I run my own business and i my business relies on me being upright and mobile i hear that hard to manipulate people's necks when your arms in a sling you know like here hold on <laughs> man you did such a good job on my neck man it was so bad i, I cannot recommend dr crow enough i uh I know he's a friend and it seems like I'm selling my business partner, which I'm, I'm doing that for sure too. But man, he helped me so much with so many different body parts. If, if you're a black belt and you know how much it sucks, uh, you definitely need to have a Dr. Crow for yourself. Uh, Mike and Ashley, if you're watching, you should definitely uh, hook up with someone. Everyone needs somebody, you know, and Guardo, you should get like a, a black belt discount or something. Hey, hey I, I'm, I'm willing to, to negotiate. We're willing to talk. <laughs> But no, one of the things I, I and I'll be forthcoming with the audience here for the, you know, the, the six people that might be watching me. But um, <laughs> one thing, Professor Jeff and I go back a long, long way, like really 30 to 33 years, you know, really have known each other that long and, and, and have been in constant contact. We, we've known each other way longer than that, but we really had never significant contact when we were little, little kids. Jeff is always forthcoming. I remember when I, and he's not mean about it. He's forthcoming <laughs> about it. I remember when I told him I was going into physical therapy, the look on his face was like, hmm. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, physical therapy is bullshit. I mean, he's going to be stretches to do it. And he's just telling me the experiences that he had. He wasn't, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, he, even as I went through it, it was like, eh, it's just still kind of bullshit. And then I finally worked with him. And he's like, oh, this is how it's supposed to go. Yeah, I'm like yeah, and there's a lot of really good physical therapists out there. I mean, I've graduated with with people and had people graduate after me and people before me that I think are fantastic. You know, there's Joe Westlake out in California. He graduated the year after me. He's fantastic. Um, Amanda Anderson, she's in Texas. She's great. Um, there's a ton of great physical therapists out there. They're just they're hard to find. You know, they, they don't advertise a lot because they're just doing their own thing. You know, so a lot of people, they don't know any better. So they go to the high volume places because they have the most, you know, marketing budget. Like everybody knows in, in Western New York, they all know Excelsior Orthopedics and Buffalo Rehab Group. And like, they all know those places because they're the biggest. So, I mean, like, I don't know any better about going to a mechanic if I don't have one. You know, you just, you just go here or, you know, if, you know, same with PT, like, hey, you just go here. So. You know, if, if Jeff's saying that I do a good job, it's because I did a good job with him. If, if it was a shit job, he'd tell me. And he would tell I all would, you, too. I, I, <laughs> I, tell, I, I tell you right here. Like, you're, 
You're all right, man. I like you a lot, but your shit sucks. But uh, yeah, and uh, I'm okay with deal. that because it's you know that's how you grow is by having honest feedback. And it's it's you know when 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 Jeff gives feedback, it's oftentimes it's just most of the times I know of it's it's not mean spirited. It's just like hey, this is it. And you know sometimes there's a mismatch in how well the person can tolerate that feedback. But you know that's not necessarily Jeff's fault. He was being honest with you. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to do my best. Sometimes I don't like sugarcoat it as good as I should. Yeah, it's like I mean, and, and believe me, he's told me that my shit sucked before. Like I'm. Like you tell me this stinks in jujitsu. It's like, all right, like it's it's always the worst. And everybody who's gone to integrity, every single person who's been there has been in this position, and we all hate it. But it is what it is. <laughs> we are the last person that Professor Jeff is looking at before he says, "All right, let's bring it back in and look at this real quick." God damn it! I'm the one who screwed this up. <laughs> you're like, you're like, cause I know I'm not the only one that screwed it up, but I'm the last one that he saw, and he was looking at me. To see if I was going to jack it up, and yep, I jacked it up. So, damn it. <laughs> but no, it, it's you're not doing that because it's like, oh, you guys all suck. And I'm taking tips away from you. It's like we're going to get this right. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's I not meant to be mean. Alex's belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor Alex. Two, three times <laughs> on the doctor. The doctor here probably the best. The most best results I've gotten ever hip, shoulders, whatever the work and homework was. Yeah, and Jared was a good fit for me. And you know, I'm not going to talk about Jared's case, but you know, Jared could handle the way I, I presented things to him. I'm like, dude, if you do what you're supposed to do, you're either going to get better or you're not. And if you do it and we don't get better, at least I know, and then we can change it. If you don't do it, then I've actually fired patients for that. I had a patient come in and he he got better like his neck pain was a lot better after the session and i never put my hands on mine i didn't manipulate his neck i didn't massage anything i didn't do anything we we had him do repeated movements and a couple other exercises his neck pain was almost gone he comes back in two weeks later and he's like yeah i'm not any better oh okay so what's going on how are the exercises going he's like oh i haven't done them <laughs> i go why are you here so I, I fired him i'm like like, like, don't waste my time. Don't waste your money. Don't, like, what are we doing here? It's just, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's, it's akin to going to a physician. They give you a pill and you don't take it. Like, they how does the physician say, come back again. Give me more money. Like, like, <laughs> like how, how does the physician know what, what to do and how to make adjustments if you don't give them feedback and don't do what you're supposed to be doing? It's, it's crazy to me. But, yeah, I've, I've had that happen. And, you know, one thing I, I do want to make perfectly clear is that everyone who posts all their guru stuff online, PTs, and you know, I, I'm here and Jeff's singing my praises, Jared's singing my praises, Amanda's been singing my praises, and I appreciate all of it. There is not one single medical professional that makes everybody better, period. There are people that I don't make better. I try my best and I will try to get you to the right practitioner if I can't help you, but nobody makes everybody better. That should never be your expectation going in to see any medical practitioner. So just be careful when you see the gurus online and every story they have is like, oh, I had this patient that nobody else got better. And then I saw him for five seconds and they got better. All right. Yeah, you that happens. Of, you ever heard of the ring dinger on YouTube? The what? The ring dinger. The ring dinger. That almost sounds like it should be on uh, a site <laughs> that I shouldn't be going on. 
Oh, you I have not. <laughs> Just said no one ever sent the doctor feel good. So <laughs> I do want to say, um, so Muhammad and Mustafa McBride are probably two of the most athletic um, super athletes. I'm not sure if they're super athletes or they turn themselves into super athletes because uh, I'm not sure how natural it is and how much is really work because I've seen them at the end of their work. Muhammad wasn't a superstar when he was a kid, but he's a superstar now. Mm -hmm. So I, I really think it's hard work. I don't think it's natural genetics. And both of those guys are, are no BS kind of guys. And uh, they're very faithful to their religion. And um, they're very knowledgeable about uh, everything because they research everything they look into. And that they both found you the same uh, knowledgeable person and willing to talk with them about the problems is uh, like what makes me just so happy that I know you like and sing high praise of you. It's not really like your ability to make everyone better. It's your ability to look at the truth and send people in the right direction if I, if you can't help them. Hmm. And that's, yeah, you sort of follow the truth wherever it goes. And it's hard to do. <laughs> Very hard yeah, to do. And, so, like, I have a, a question that kind of leads into that, and I don't want you to throw your professional under the bus, but... Oh, I am persona non grata in the for PT world. <laughs> be, because I I will... I, I call my profession out constantly, so have at it. <laughs> so, like, most PTs deal with insurance. So, mm -hmm. um, obviously, you need to do so many certain things for insurance and see so many people. And then you have to have insurance people that file paperwork for insurance. Is one of the reasons why you and kind of your peer group, um, it seems like all the guys that are good PTs that you talk about and we talk about, they're all cash-based PTs. Is that because insurance is such a big problem in the PT world? Or is that just because... Insurance does make things harder. It does make things harder because you have to jump through hoops to get paid. And there is a there is a large game at play here. Like insurance will just deny 10% of your claims just right off the top, knowing that you can't make a phone call on all of them. So your fee schedules change. They usually go in one direction and that's down, meaning how much they're going to reimburse you. So it is a problem. But there are a lot of PTs out there that do take insurance and see one patient at a time. So really what it comes down to is how do you size your business? So take you, for example, if you're like, okay, I have 15 members ready to go and I can charge this much for my product. You're not renting a 35,000 square foot building because you can't pay for it. You know, so if you're a PT in Western New York and you know that your reimbursement rates are the lowest in the country, which they are for insurance or lowest reimbursement rates in the country is Western New York. Why are you renting such a big building when you know you're only getting this much? So it's real easy to sit there and blame the insurance companies and say, they don't pay us enough. They don't do this. They don't do that. But you rented this massive building and you're forcing your therapist to see four patients at a time. So if I worked for an insurance company and I came in and saw this person on a hot pack, this person getting shotgun manual therapy, this person riding an exercise bike, and this person over here doing unsupervised exercise in the corner, I'd actually pay PTs less. So if, you know, the, the reality is there's always external forces and insurance is one of them that are going to help influence your care. But at the end of the day, you have your own internal autonomy and your own individual agency to take care of it and you have to do as best job you possibly can 
So if you size your business where you have to see four patients an hour, that's your fault. It's not the insurance company's fault. That is your fault. So insurance can make it more difficult, but you can make it work. You know, I could probably take insurance in the size building that I'm in with the overhead that I have. I could probably make that work. I don't want to because I hate paperwork. <laughs> and insurance will triple to quadruple your paperwork. And it's really annoying. I don't really like doing that stuff. But I could probably pull it off and still see one patient at a time without much difficulty. So I'm not against insurance. If they just made it a lot easier, it'd be fine. So, yeah, the, the, the profession likes to blame everybody else and not take care of their own backyard. So if you do shit work, you're going to get paid less. It's just the way it is. So why PT sucks so bad then? Why is it so hard to find a good one? Why isn't there, like, it's so hard to find word of mouth PTs. Like, I talk to people about you, and they're like, oh, PT sucks. Like, everyone has the same experience with PTs. Mm-hmm. And there, there like, was it's one hard thing to convince I them to go to a cash place. Like, so, like, why are there not more PTs that, and, like you? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to ask why. Why yeah, is no, not more no. So I heard an interview one time and you and I, one of the reasons we click is because we, we have similar mindsets. We take in from me. Oh, there goes Ray. He's gone. <laughs> Ray was getting bored of this. <laughs> but um, you and I have similar mindsets. We try to take information from everywhere. You know, you're not just listening to jujitsu people. I'm not just yeah. listening to PT people. We're taking information from everywhere. So I heard Tony Gonzalez, a Hall of Fame tight end. He was on Colin Coward's show one time. And Colin Coward asked him, what percentage of an NFL locker room is like you, like Tom, Brady, Peyton, Peyton Manning? You know, what percentage is like you all in all the time? He goes, 2%. 2% of an NFL locker room is all in all the time. And he goes, well, what percentage is, you know, bare minimum? He goes, about 65% is bare minimum. Like, just does what they need to do. They're competent, but they don't do a thing more than they have to do. And I really thought about that, and I thought, Every situation I've been in, that that number holds basically true. My graduating class in PT, 65% were C's, get degrees type people. They're not bad people. They have medical licenses. They're PTs. But they're not doing anything extra. They're not going above and beyond. So why do you think that would translate into the PT world as professionals? And really, that's the problem you run into. I mean, you probably run into the same thing with people you work with whether it's in a machine shop or any business you've ever worked in, you probably even see the same thing in the jujitsu community where that number may hold kind of true. There's about 2% that are all in all the time and 65% that just do what they need to do. And that's about it. And so how do you change that? You you can't. So 65% of PTs out there are just, yeah, I come and I do my work and I see my people, I get paid. That's fine. Whatever. They have no intention of getting better. They don't care about getting better. They just want to do their job, go home and hang out with their kids and their husbands and their wives and do whatever. And I guess there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the profession kind of slides in the wrong direction. And then they get mad when I call it out. Well, I guess it's bad work. I don't understand. Like, <clears throat> so I understand like, they're forced to see multiple people at the same time, but no one addresses the body that I've ever worked with like you. Like I come in and they, is that because insurance, insurance tells you you have to do this, like this is the recovery that you have to do, or is it just because they're just, wow, whatever, they're just doing a very bare minimum. 
That's, I guess, my real question. Yeah, I think a lot of them are doing bare minimum, and a lot of them get stuck in sort of a rut. So, like, if you're cross-country skiing, you tend to stay in the same ruts that are already made for you. So, interestingly enough, I was at a, con- a continuing education seminar a long time ago, and there was this guy, uh, Dr. Ben Kibler. He does um, shoulder surgeries in Kentucky. Really fantastic. But he was talking about how most rotator cuff injuries actually start from here down from the end of the sternum down, because if your legs aren't working well, if your hips aren't working well, if your spine isn't moving well, you're putting more stress in the shoulder. You're making the shoulder do more work than it's supposed to be doing. And I saw all these PTs and looking around, they're like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, we should be treating the whole body. And what do you think all those fuckers did on Monday? They went right back to their clinic and did the exact same thing they were doing. So they know, they just don't change it. They get stuck in a rut. And it's hard to change it when you're seeing four patients at the same time. But as I always say, you don't have to work there. Like, you don't have to work there. You don't have to see it. You don't have to do four patients at the same time. I stopped doing it. You know, I worked at a place that was high volume. It's not that they're bad people. It's just I chose not to do it. And so they're just in for the money grabbers, pretty much. Like It's a job. It's the difference between a job and a career. They're job people, and they'll be job people until they retire. They won't ever transition to career people. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It's just, again, don't complain about your profession. Don't complain about how physicians should like us more, and then, then don't complain about the general public bad-mouthing <laughs> PT because they're just reporting what they have had done to them. Yeah. Every, so, like, it seems like it's just a giant scam because – the doctors really recommend your PT. You know, that's what's always happened to me. They're like, well, go to this place or this place. And it's like all in a major network. And those places always suck. And then, like, most normal people don't even know you can go find your own PT. And yep. even more people don't know you should just see a PT on, on your own, like, for preventive maintenance. And, yep. like, I don't know how to get the word out. And I don't understand why, why your profession doesn't get the word. I'm, like flabbergasted like I, I don't understand why you're the only one saying this is what i'm, I'm why I'm, I'm not the only one it's just it's it's a, a minor voice and you know the pt profession is not well organized like like the dental profession is the medical profession is like physicians they're well organized they have a very strong governing body we don't and part of the reason is the governing body doesn't really do much for us and the governing body doesn't really talk about the things that need to be talked about i saw this particularly horrible video that it was the it was basically a reading mean tweets PT edition. So these PTs were reading all these bad tweets, and 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 I'm looking at them like these aren't bad tweets. These are these are things that actually happen. So like these people aren't saying anything unfair or unreasonable. They're saying what has happened to them. I was given my sheet of exercises and I had to go stand in the corner and do them. Well, That's what are you my complaining about? Exactly. Like that. Like oh, I I don't need someone to massage my neck. Yeah, and that's what happens. So, you know, they're like, oh, we got to get people to, to think differently about PT. Well, then we have to present the product differently. And again, it, it's you, you can't change the, the general public and you can't change the physicians. You can't change the insurance. All you can change is yourself. So that's not a very popular message. So that's yeah. why I'm kind of persona non grata about it, about in the PT community. Nobody really likes me in the PT community except the people who do it well. So that's how I kind of know if you're a good practitioner or not. If you like what I'm saying, even if you don't agree exactly with how I'm presenting the message, if you're okay with the message or okay with what I'm saying, then I know you're probably a pretty good practitioner. 
I like that. Um, I mean, so if, if you're, yeah. Let's make sure that we uh, we get some recommendations. If you don't want to see Dr. Kroll, get some recommendations from him for like people to see. Uh, I'm sure he'd be more than happy to uh, hook you up with people. <laughs> people are afraid of high prices, so they go to who insurance will pay for. Yeah, and unfortunately, what they kind of don't understand is that you actually pay more by going to a, a non-cash-based practitioner in most cases. Not every case. Again, you can go to a cash-based practitioner and not get better. But usually what happens is they'll go twice a week for eight weeks because independent health authorized 16 visits. So you're paying a $45 copay, not to mention your time, which is incredibly valuable. Your cash-based PTs won't be seeing you that often. So you're going to pay less in the long run in both time and money, but it's hard to get people to understand that. I equate this the same way I equate eating. Um, there's certain things that you only have so much of in time or two of them, right? And you need to take care of your health and eating healthy and um, taking care of your body are the only things that are going to give you uh, life satisfaction when you're done working and you're going to be done working at some point. And if you're not able to do anything and enjoy it, what's the, what's the sense of working? And if your life sucks every day because everything hurts and you can't move, like, what's the point of living? Like, why would you even want to live? So yep. if you're going to spend money on something, what can be more important than that? Like, going out to the bar? Like, and I really don't understand, like, how people think. And I'm just, I feel like I'm in such a minority sometimes. Well, you are. And, and you know, people like you, people like me have, are, are in a situation where we have a activity and exercise lifestyle. It's not negotiable. We don't have to get motivated to do it. You know, like you don't get motivated to go to the gym or exercise or be active. Like you don't. It's just it's just part of your day. It's not negotiable. And that's kind of how I am. I don't have to get more like I, I I went and worked out this morning at 7 a.m. I didn't have to do it, but it wasn't negotiable. It wasn't like, oh, I don't want to do it today. I'm not going to do it. And then that goes for like a year, <laughs> you know, and it's. It, it's it's tough because most people don't ever enter that. Most people are, go through their entire lives as episodic exercisers where they will exercise for a little while or they'll be active for a little while and then they'll completely drop off the face of the earth on it and they never reach that position like you and I are in where it's just it's just part of what we are. So, so yeah, I we are in the minority. Up, yeah, I woke up early to go to the gym to lift <laughs> so I could feel good enough to teach uh, on my feet for like uh, from 11 o'clock to 6 o'clock today. Like, so that whole time I'm competing, I'm wrestling at a high level and doing jujitsu. Like, I'm rolling with everybody and then I do Muay Thai and then, you know, training with pro athletes. And I work out before that just to make sure that, like, I stay in shape too. Because mm -hmm. I think aesthetically I should look good as well as uh, be in good shape. Yeah. I mean, you. Again, you, you need to feel good. Again, what's what's the point of going through your days if, if you're going to feel like crap all the time? I mean, yeah. even if you have medical issues that are that make it an uphill battle, your responsibility is still to move as much and as best as you can. Like, because I, I have people all the time, they're like, oh, I have this condition, I have that condition, I can't do this, I can't do that. You can't do anything. <laughs> like, you can't do anything. I mean, there, there's very few people in the world that are in that position where they absolutely cannot do anything. So, you know, take care of your eating habits, take care of your nutrition, take care of your sleep as best you can and move around. 
You know, those are the best things you can do. And then you're giving your physicians and your holistic practitioners and anyone you're choosing to see far more ammunition to work with because you're taking care of your end. You're doing what you can. So now they can say, okay, well, this person's active. This person's got their hydration under control. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now we have a better slate to work with. And yeah, it's, it's an uphill battle. It, it really is. People like you and I are the minority, for sure. I want to share something. Um, I think it's kind of personal, but not really. So I was seeing you. I was having, uh, I don't remember if it was for the bicep or something else. My shoulder was like, I had a lot of pain in my right shoulder. I wasn't able to do like the shoulder press and all kinds of stuff. And um, I really didn't expect you to make my shoulder better, but uh, you did. Um, like I just expect it to be slightly better, but for that whole year, I wasn't able to play catch with forest, throw football, like do anything. And like, I, you know, I was honestly more concerned about getting into like a punch, but, um, like you, you really truly fixed the joint and I was able to, um, throw the ball with forest and, and play catch. And man, I, I wasn't able to do that for like years before that ever, like my shoulder has been really bad since. I heard it wrestling with you remember like forever ago mm -hmm. and then i worked with you and, and it got better i'm sure it wasn't even just my shoulder but man like the, the joy of that game and to be able to throw the football at my son is like if you're not doing that i don't understand why you're not trying to like i really can't and if you if you don't think you can do it you can you can do something so you can get better and enjoy the time with your friends and family it's, it's so important yeah, you only get one body and you can't get a new one. So you better, better take care of it. And yeah, it's not a hard equation. It's just, again, people don't, people don't do it. People don't see the value in it. I, I don't know why. And when people don't, there's nothing I can do to change that. But yeah. Well, Crazy. I hope we change people's minds today. And I, um, I don't know what else we can do to do that. And I'm so happy to have you back on the podcast. Yeah, it's been uh, about th three years, you said, right? Yeah, three years today since Damn. the last podcast posted. I can't believe it's been that long. I know, it's crazy. But at least I haven't fallen into the, the deep blue sea and just, you know, drifted off. I've still been coming to class. <laughs> you were in that deep white sea for a very long time. Yeah, and that's, you know, it, it's one of the things about being a hobbyist, right? You know, so that was one thing. I'm different from some of your other students is that I, I, I know where I'm at and I don't expect to be promoted as fast as other people because I just do it as a hobbyist. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my goals are just, I, I enjoy doing it. I don't care so much about, oh, I need to get my next belt. I need to get my next tip. It's nice when you get them. But uh, one of the nice things about you is that I know I earned it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I can go through the minimum number of classes. You're not going to give me a tip if I haven't earned it. So I well, like that. <laughs> I'm going to say like, when you got that dummy and like you talk about how that, that tip meant the world to you, but like you, definitely earn that dude you got so much better when you got the dummy and you start working out with the dummy like your momentum or your uh movement and your transitions on the ground are so much better since you start working with the dummy everything is just better and uh it's yeah. bad news for everyone that's training <laughs> sometimes yeah no it wasn't and, until i started i started working with the the dummies and I, I started doing just a couple different drills and i was actually able to catch josh in a triangle one time yeah and that's Guys, not easy to do for me <laughs> It surely does not take much to to get your body good at jiu-jitsu movements. If I can do it, trust me, you guys can. Mm -hmm. Most of you guys are way better athletes than me. Take Dr. Crow's word for it. 
Yeah, your 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 base athleticism is your biggest weakness. Unfortunately, <laughs> it really is. You just it just is. <laughs> but you've overcome it with durability and incredible cardio, and then a skill acquisition. So yeah, that's important. Like anyone can do this sport. It's not. It really doesn't take a lot. And I had Josh Ketri on, and we're talking about uh, uh, foundations of jitsu in the community. And I like to think that I'm a uh, a good finger in the jujitsu community, and I have been for a very long time. And it all started with you. You're uh, you twirled the staff coming down Throwing that, that damn stick and beat each and other up in the driveway in the backyard. Yeah, then you got me into karate and punching Dave Ryan. I was like, man, I like this fighting stuff. And, there you go, um, man. It was pretty crazy. It all starts somewhere. Yep. And now that we got into the start of my fighting career. I want to talk about the time that you fought. And I want to end the oh, podcast <laughs> with the story of the tag team kickboxing match because I told yeah. everybody about this, and I told I was gonna I was gonna talk to you about it in the podcast, and I'll put it at the very end so people gotta watch some or at least scroll all the way go. through to get here so I can. <laughs> I'm not gonna timestamp it. But we're gonna say it right at the end. There you so go. So why don't you walk me through your tag team kickboxing match? Oh man, so it was the combat zone. It was I believe 1995, right? Correct. It was October 1995, so we had just graduated from high school, and I was seven. I was, uh, I think, I just turned. I just, I was 18. Just turned 18 at the time, and uh, yeah, we were in this tag team kickboxing match. Total Wild West nonsense. I don't know if there was a physician in the house at all. It was at the old Memorial Auditorium, and me and Don Allpaw were in this tag team kickboxing match, and it was total WWF AEW stuff where. We like, got we got walked through the locker room, the whole setup. Uh, all right, all right. So, like, do you want me to do with the guy getting schooled? Yeah, the guy getting schooled. Uh, all right, like... fair enough. So we had one locker room and with uh, one set of fighters, and then in our locker room with the other set of fighters. All right, it wasn't even wasn't even split. No, it was not split. It was. It wasn't split. That's right. It wasn't split. We were all in the same locker room. Didn't matter who was on what corner. And there was this one guy. He was throwing kicks at this. I believe it was like a bathroom divider. Yeah. So Jeff stands up in the middle of this whole thing. And now, mind you, Jeff and I do not look anything like we look now. Like, I, I was still six foot two, but I was about 160 pounds. I was not nearly as built as I am now. Jeff was not nearly as tough and had no cauliflower ear at the time. <laughs> he points right at him like, that guy's going to get schooled, <laughs> which it did come true. That guy did get housed. He was really bad. But, but the rules for my fight with Don changed multiple times. And I think our opponents even changed once or twice. Yeah, they changed in the locker room. This, like the, uh, I the, wanted to talk about the locker room stuff because they changed your opponents in the locker room. Don's all ball. I was like, ah, fuck it, let's go. Yeah, it was a total mess. So, like, we had no idea who we were fighting. Nobody knew who the rules were. So the last set of rules that we had gotten, Don and I, were that if your opponent got into your corner, your partner on the outside could hit him. That was the last set of rules we got. I don't think the memo reached the other group. So we get out there and, you know, I get into the ring. I throw a sidekick at the guy, hit him right in the chest. And like, it didn't work at all. Like I was like, that was gonna be a long day. There was so, no weight class or weigh-ins for everyone. No, God, no, there was no. So these are Dr. Crowell's kicking some guy that's probably like 80 pounds bigger than him. <laughs> yes, it was it was not great. It was like teenage me kicking Jared. It was it would have been, it was not great. So anyway, we get the back into my corner. I get the guy into the corner. 
I, I circle out. Don hits them because as far as we knew, those were the rules. Well, the air team didn't like that, and all these guys jumped into the ring. And it was a big melee and a big brawl. So, you know, I'm getting hit. It's It didn't really hurt, but it was just a big melee and a big brawl. And, yeah, that, that was the end of that match. Yeah. So my, my fight... My fight ended with a complete mess, and I and you were outside with uh, Bill Adams, who was just laughing. Yeah, Bill I, Adams was like, I, I started my karate career at Bill Adams Martial Arts way back in the day. Bill Adams is from Karate, and he was just laughing. It was a total shit show. He had no interest in getting in there at all. No, God, no. He had, he was like, I'm not getting in there. Fuck that. I just yeah, got was, my nose broke in my fight, so I'm like looking at like, oh man, do I get in here? Do I not get in here? And then like it was. I don't even know how it got separated. They just stopped hitting you for a minute. Like, there was not really security. It was crazy. No, yeah. It was just like, oh, okay, well, whatever. So, yeah, it was uh, it, it was uh, a total shit show. Like I said, it was total Wild West stuff. <laughs> Again, like opponents, you know, like stuff you would never see now. Even in the smaller promotions, you would never see that type of stuff now. You wouldn't even see this in Russia and all those Russian videos. Well, maybe in Russia. Those maybe in videos. Russia you would. Like, out Russia. Yeah, it was just... Total shit show. I mean, I remember your fight. Yours was a, a complete bare knuckle MMA match, and you got your nose broken pretty quick, if I remember. Yeah, right off. You the came, top. came over to the corner. And you're like, oh man, what am I gonna tell my mom? Because your mom didn't know that you were there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, but then you you took the guy down and pounded. I think you pounded him out, and then you choked him, right? I, I punched him once, and he quit. Oh, I thought I thought you pounded him out and choked him. No, I, I went to punch him, and then he quit. And then I punched him again, and, like, he quit again. And then, then the referee said, stop. I didn't get to choke him. I was, Seems I was happens so mad, like, he hit me, and then he just stopped fighting. He was, like, it was a time when people tapped when, they got, when you got mouth on them. It was, like, it was a totally different world than it is now. Like, people will never understand. If you yeah, there. it was, again, total total mess. Everybody in the same locker room. Opponents changing, you know. An hour before the fight, rules changing before the fight. It was like again, you would never see that now. So, whatever happened with your fight, were you declared the winner? Or I thought it was like a, just a no contest. I have no idea. I don't really remember what happened. Um, listen, you're watching. Did did they get the, the other team get disqualified? Well, like what happened? I don't really even remember. I don't know what happened. I don't know. like it didn't matter to me at that point. I mean, it was just such a shit show. <laughs> There was no police or no security. Dude, I don't even know like how like how that guy got away with that. Like it's so different now. I don't even know I how it got separated. Like you said, like it just it just like ended. There's no commission. No. We should, have Don Lilly, we should tell Don Lily about this someday. He'll probably love it. Oh yeah. It's, again, this is backyard stuff. No. I mean, Dude, it was yeah. so crazy. So that's the Dr. Crow kickboxing story. Yeah, Dr. that was the Dizzy. Actually has fights, so you better look out for him. He's not a joke. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not very good, but I'm. Uh, as I always tell people, I, I I kick hard for a normal for a non-fighter. He is very ready to fight. He's he's he threw down. Fights in the hallways. Yep. There should have been a fight in the locker room. When I said that guy was going to get schooled. There should have. Well, he 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 ended up getting schooled. So it is what it is. Yeah, he did get beat up. Uh, yeah. I made some long-lasting friends from there. Like I've had uh, training partners. That I trained with there that I met that night that I still train with today. Well, not anymore, but I trained with like up to a brown belt, you know, so it's pretty cool. And that started all the primo stuff and let me to get yeah, my you're, black you're, you're kind of magnetic in that realm. <laughs> like, I mean, pe- people know that you're willing to do whatever. So <laughs> people can be like, hey, let's let's train with stick. You'd be like, okay. 
hey, let's train the mat. All right. <laughs> like you're doing like it's kind of magnetic. People like that about you. Yeah. Whatever. Try yeah, that three or four times. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, so, no, I can't tell you how thankful I am for your friendship and uh, everything that we have, and hopefully we'll always remain uh, business partners. I know we'll always be friends. So. Um, yes. Well, we'll always be connected in some way. You know that. Yeah. I'll always send my people your way, and you always send your people my way. So at least we'll have that. And um, man, I can't wait. Hopefully we we get this um, this vision that we have for a complete health facility accomplished. Um, yeah, it'd, it'd be it'd be nice, but yeah, one step at a time. Yeah. One as long as we keep doing what we're doing, that's we'll be all right. All right, we're almost at two hours, so I'm gonna end this one right now. Thank you everybody right. for watching. I'm sure uh, sure it was not that entertaining at parts of it, so make sure you tell everyone. Oh, Ray, Ray got out of there. Ray Ray was not interested. Ray's like, I'm done. This is too smart. Ray, for me. Ray's this done. Uh, Ray Ray's out. You answered his question about the biceps, and you heard his feelings. <laughs> Shut it down. Done. Train. He, he might have to come in and we might have to roll one of these times. Yeah, he's actually what to do with my broken bicep. I know he'll smash me into the mat and I'll lose my blue belt. I'll throw it right <laughs> yep. I'm going to your white belt. <laughs> it was good to see you again. And uh, have a great day, everybody. We're out. All right.